Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the first Event Industry News live Facebook podcast. My name's James Dixon, wishing all of our viewers, our podcast followers, uh, whenever, wherever you may be tuning into us from. Uh, a very good afternoon from the UK, and hopefully we've got guys tuning in from all over the place to this first Facebook live edition. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2i Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Tech Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. Um, and as I said, we are live on Facebook this afternoon. Um, so you'll be able to put your questions to our guest in real time. If you're watching us on Facebook and you've got something to ask once we get into today's uh, podcast topic, feel free to, uh, to get, in get involved and get your questions to us. And with that, um, let's get on with today's show. Many of you will be aware of the recent changes that Facebook has made to its newsfeed, a move that it says is designed to show less branded content um, on people's timelines. Our guest on this first live episode is Nick Borelli. Nick is a sales and marketing strategist with over 20 years experience of working within the event industry. Nick joins us today from Cleveland, Ohio, to help us understand what impacts these Facebook updates will have on event professionals. Nick, we got there in the end. Welcome. Yeah, it's glad, I'm glad to be here, and I'm also glad that now both of us are in the afternoon at the same time, uh, which is really great uh, with us being a, a pond apart. Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to talk, uh, I actually had this conversation with Adam uh, maybe about a month ago, after, as soon as this news dropped, uh, I said that I think this is really going to affect the event industry, uh, specifically because um, I believe that Facebook has been really a crutch for a lot of people who felt entitled for Facebook to drive business to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just, the, the entitlement's gone. Uh, they're, they're an I, they have an IPO, uh, people, they need to make money, and uh, there's just no, uh, the salad days are sort of gone. In addition to that, uh, their user experience has really uh, dramatically been uh, hit uh, with the onset of other social medias that they've been trying to squash, like Snapchat, or their own uh, 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 platform, Instagram, um, they've really felt a hit due to uh, a, a very heightened political place that we're in, in addition to every business and every brand having a Facebook page. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's not what people signed up for. You know, they, that's the key thing. And so let's, I suppose, get into the nitty gritty of it. You know, we've yes. got your expertise on the line today. So let's look at specifically what they've changed. Let's look at specifically what people were doing with Facebook, with their business pages and with their event groups. And let's look at what they could be doing. Three key elements, I suppose, in today's podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg actually was the voice of this change because it was such a significant one. And usually they have a fairly large org chart and for, for the founder to come out and say, this is one of the most significant updates should have made everyone stand up and listen. And a lot of brands did. And a lot of people have been screaming that the sky is falling. Um, but I'm here to reassure you that it isn't and that there's a ways to definitely uh, pivot. Uh, when what he was saying um, that the emphasis will now be put on is meaningful interactions. So that's the Facebook terminology. What does meaningful interactions mean? It means what people signed up for, which is friends and family, first and foremost, the people that are most important to their lives, 
the people that are most important to their lives uh, first. So you're not going to see, as you've been seeing for the last number of years, a diminished, diminished, diminished uh, amount of uh, eyeballs on uh, your post without paying for it. It's going to be uh, from 1% to basically 0%. If you post something uh, that isn't highly, highly engaging and you don't do that frequently, um, the only way for people to find you is to be driven there somewhere else through the search functionality, similar to how they find your website, uh, or through uh, some kind of recommendation. Other than that, uh, the idea of if, if I post it, they will come is gone. Uh, and that's to the benefit of the user in order to, you know, basically give them what they want. Uh, one weird thing that Zuckerberg said that it had a, a, uh, an impact that day is that uh, people will spend less time on Facebook if they do this right, but have a higher quality experience. Mm -hmm. um, their stock tanked that day. Uh, because the people who invested in it said, whoa, we want, you know, we, we, we bought into this thinking this is what people, it's just going to, more and more time. Uh, but they're wise enough to know that quality matters more than quantity. And that same application should be applied to what you do. And I'll get to that in a second. But uh, that's what they're going for is a higher quality engagement on Facebook. Now, how that expresses itself um, it means that you as a brand, if you're, uh, and this is what a lot of events do, unfortunately, uh, if you try to sell on Facebook in an organic way, and by organic, I mean, uh, simply not paying for any advertising, not paid to boost. If you were to say tickets are available now and the next post is, remember those tickets are available. And the third post is early bird, you know, and all of that, it's not driving any attention your way because there's no reason to engage with that. It's not a question. It doesn't elicit anything other than potentially clicks, maybe, but certainly awareness is not achieved, nor is trust. And in the hierarchy of, of marketing, it's not accomplishing those things. Is it still linked to the, to the share button? So if, if you get you know, 300 people sharing that particular post, even though Facebook may have defined it as something that is not quality content or is repetitive or it doesn't quantify it, it within its new algorithms as something that, that should show up on people's timelines, if people are sharing that post actively, will it still have the same impact as, as the same amount of shares would have had under the previous guys? No. Uh, in fact, one of the targets that they're actually going after are news agencies, uh, fake news, uh, and anything that would go viral, I guess. I'm using a lot of air quotes. Uh, so no, whereas there would be a snowball effect that would have typically happened through sharing and sharing and sharing, they found that that was also uh, uh, not something that people wanted out of the user experience because what it ended up being is too much uh, in that with people's echo chambers, too much of the same yeah. Um, so they actually spice that. While there would be more eyeballs on a post if it is shared than there would be if it wasn't, the, the viral ability uh, for things, and, and this really affects hardcore things like CNN and BuzzFeed and organizations like that that thrive off of memes and things like that. Memes are like a specific target actually of Facebook. They don't want those to be as pervasive as they were. What they want is, again, meaningful interactions and, you know, uh, business cat or, uh, you know, the equivalent of uh, uh, d just doesn't do it as far as deeper feelings and deeper connections. So, um, again, a share is better than, than no shares, but it's not as good as it used to be there either. In addition, 
there's people that have been doing the, the shortcuts to uh, meaningful interactions over the years, which is usually dubbed uh, engagement bait, asking someone to comment. Comment with what you think. And they see that now as bad behavior too with this algorithm change. And they are penalizing calls to actions that include things like comment and like. Now, I don't, I don't want to make people feel like so scared about those words that they can't incorporate them as they would in natural cadence. They can, but keep, Facebook is smart enough to know, as, as most of these developed algorithms are, when it is a call to action with that being the, the verb within the context of, of asking something, if that makes sense. How will it affect? It does make sense, and but I'm curious to know how that will affect specifically um, events. And one of the first things that, that springs into my mind is consumer events. Consumer right. events that w will have a huge engagement on Facebook with their audience yes. and with their visitors, and who may use Facebook to ask a simple question: comment below on changes that you would like to see us make to the event next year. What do you think we could do better? How will it impact events like that who are seeking to use Facebook as a genuine platform for market research and to, to source genuine comments back from their audience? So the genuine comments back, especially in an R&D capacity, does really actually fit under the underlying umbrella of meaningful interactions. I just think that you have to be a bit more less on the nose about the ask, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to saying comment below, you know, this is the feelings that we have or something. Just know that they're very hyper right now aware of ask for the comment, specifically using the phrase comment. Super users uh, of Facebook have been testing this because the algorithms, they don't lay it completely out there, nor does mm -hmm. Google. Uh, but people with enough brands that test and measure determine that this is something that over the last month that has seen penalties. Uh, in the in the means of eyeballs on on content. So um, that said, without using those words as a crutch um, or uh, without having a minimal amount of comments, actually maximizing the amount of contents and it, and it being uh, something that is more engaging is is really the trick of what needs to be done now for events. And what that means is less fear over controversy uh, and less. Uh, a fear of uh, actually engaging and, and showing a little bit of vulnerability in order to elicit uh, more emotional responses that are deeper, that allow people to actually put their two cents into it. Um, and if you're in the business of events around content, be it speakers, uh, exhibition, any, any aspect, even, even music, potentially of festivals, uh, you have to think of yourself more as a content creator having a dialogue Mm -hmm. uh, with people who are engaged with your content versus simply just uh, uh, sales transactions, which should be done on advertising versus the actual Facebook platform. So ticket sale, call to actions, yeah. advertising. I, I was I was going to say, forgive me for interrupting, Nick, but um, no a, a, a couple of questions um, spring to mind. What what you're saying sounds very much like uh, that the, the SEO type approach that people take to really, really good websites in terms of the, the, the written content. So the words that they are actually putting up onto their website pages, good companies will think really, really carefully and they'll work with people to creatively put together written content so that 
key words, key phrases are used, but not overused so that repetition is kept to a minimum. So exactly that, that they use a thesaurus to find 10 different ways to describe one particular function. This sounds like Facebook is adopting a very sort of similar principle to people will be familiar with already with SEO on websites. Correct. Uh, I think it was the Panda update in Google specifically around 2008, 2009, which made a real pivot towards the, the, the dirty business of SEO and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the SEO shaman and uh, really uh, handcuffing people who overuse certain terminology. So, yes, it's actually very analogous to that. Uh, but the other thing to keep in mind is, is that I really believe your Facebook page now uh, exists as a secondary website as opposed to an organic uh, uh, place for people to discover you. Mm -hmm. I believe that Instagram is, is really the best platform for uh, strangers finding you uh, through hashtag use. To some extent, Twitter, even though that, that platform is fairly plateaued in all meaningful metrics, um, outside of the circles that you've already created that already exist, very difficult to get traction there. But uh, and other than news, you know, like an organization like you, you actually has, has an advantage on Twitter. Mm. But everyone else, as far as like ticket sales and such, you know, new discovery without paying for money. The best option of how people used to use Facebook is now Instagram. Uh, Facebook, on the other hand, as a secondary website of curated content, in addition to uh, a place where your deeper long form content in the form specifically of video like this it's an excellent repository for that. And, and I do want to say video like this, live video that we're doing right now, is the only thing they're not penalizing. There we go. So, so, so we're already on the right track, what one yes. would hope to think. Um, yes. it, it, as, as should events. I mean, events need to, they need to have a campaign dedicated to Facebook Live. Need. It's not, it's not an option anymore. Fantastic. T take that as gospel, people tuning in. And for those of you who maybe just tuned into our uh, to our, our live Facebook uh, podcast today, we're talking to Nick Borelli. Nick joins us from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and we're talking about the Facebook updates and the changes that they've made to how people will see and view content and the impact that that's going to have on event organizers and ultimately getting them to prompt and think about the content that they're putting up onto, uh, onto their Facebook pages. Um, Nick, in practical terms... We discussed something a few minutes ago uh, related to, to shares. Um, and if, you know, 50 people shared a particular post, you know, it would have that pyramid marketing effect of then feeding down into their news feeds. In practical terms, when we talk about the penalizations that Facebook are really going to be implementing, will it be as simple as the fact that even if 50 people share that, it might only show up in 10 of those people's timelines? Will they actually actively manage that and stop some of those posts going up? How will it manifest itself? It manifests itself by uh, trying not to be able to over inundate the same people. So uh, what it wants is, is it wants to uh, lessen the burden of, of repetition on people, which usually uh, has expressed itself uh, at, the, at the worst case scenario in people who have very curated follower followings around uh, uh, generally politics and news, which has resulted in a lot of the negative feedback that Facebook has uh, uh, been uh, victim to uh, around the ideas of echo chambers. So this actually didn't start off as, and the reason that this was such emphasized as a way to penalize businesses or anything like that. I mean, that's who pays for them. Ultimately, they're protecting a user experience, but they're also protecting their brand, which has been under fire as uh, a very easy to access and manipulate 
from outside sources as we experienced over here across the pond uh, uh, be, by being able to inundate groups of people who all follow the same types of people. So it will manifest itself by the, if the less of the same people will see it. Uh, so the more diverse uh, groups of people that would see it potentially would have the least amount of effect, but the more niche the content you create actually would hurt you uh, more so in the sharing aspect, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but there is a hack to this. I mean, there actually is a share hack, um, which gets around all of this, uh, which is influencer marketing. Okay. Well, we'll go, let, 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 yeah. let's, get, let's get to that in a bit because cause something that I wanted to, to, to look at is, is Facebook as a broader entity. I think no, right. nobody can deny its power and its reach globally. Um, but there are inevitably and undoubtedly positive and negative thoughts on Facebook. You know, a lot of people do think that the Facebook generation is, is a, a, a negative thing. People are spending too much time on social media platforms. Yeah. Will, will this change be significant enough to reinvigorate, to genuinely reinvigorate people's experiences of it? I mean, Zuckerberg tells us that he wants people to have less time on it, but a better experience. Will it genuinely do that? Uh, and, and will enough companies and people who operate Facebook pages be prompted enough to really, really reinvigorate their content as you're talking about? Uh, it's tough. The, the overwhelming majority of the, of the page ecosystem is made up of very small businesses that don't have time uh, or assets to strategically think of content in a way that will actually position them better. They've, they've lucked into your Etsy businesses, your, your, your mom and pops. They've lucked into some uh, uh, value out of Facebook over the years. They're the first to go. So people who create boring content or, or don't really consider the personas of uh, their consumers and what they like and, and also are scared to create content that isn't, uh, that it asks more of people they're gonna they're actually gonna suffer in a complete loss of any kind of value to what they do so the boring people will get hurt the hardest um after that it ends up being um to wait and see i think mostly what this announcement was this is a this is an ongoing change uh fueled from the edict of um i have this note right here it's meaningful interaction so you're going to see that and that's been re repeated quite a few times um i think this is as algorithms go Tweaks will all be along those lines. Will it be transformative enough? I don't know. Uh, I, I have faith in, this is a long tail, I have faith in Generation Z, which uh, grew up with uh, social media as a given, as a thing that already existed. So they didn't, uh, you know, you give somebody a new toy or if it's the 2001 Space Odyssey, a black obelisk, and they worship it and they, they use it too much and they use it poorly. I think once it becomes integrated into a community that is completely native to it, uh, they won't abuse it as much because it, the novelty won't be there. Uh, so I have a lot of faith in Gen Z. I, I, know you, I know we want to move the conversation on to, um, to influencer marketing. And this is something that, that I know that you've got a lot to say about. And, and in order to do that, I'm wondering if I may be able to just prompt you a little bit on that subject. Yes. Um, and let's see if I'm also on the same sort of wavelength or, or even on the right, in the right zone. When I hear the term influencer marketing and influencers, I straight away think of YouTube. Yes. I have two young 
children, two boys who have grown up in the generation of always having tablets, having access to YouTube. They know all of these guys, all of these famous YouTubers who I have no idea who they are. My son is four. His favorite things to watch are YouTubers, and he likes Ryan from Ryan's Toy Reviews, a six-year-old who is an influencer. So yeah, I'm on the same page. There, there we go. So, so when I see YouTube as an entity and as a platform for people, the, I, I would say that nobody who is a genuine influencer or who has a big YouTube channel would put up a video unless it had meaningful content to it. They wouldn't just put up a video that said, hey guys, I'm here to say the same thing as I said yesterday. And yet yeah. we do that on Facebook. Correct. They get it. That's really the big difference between an influencer uh, and, and how brands operate on social media. There's two, there's two main differences. One, it's a human being, which is what people crave. Uh, the authenticity of a brand that is an actual human being first and a brand second. Mm-hmm. So they crave that authenticity and credibility that comes with that authenticity. And the second thing is, is that the ones who are excellent at being influencers, and, and I'm also putting micro-influencers in that bucket without having enough time to really define the nuances between the two. Um, they are content creators first and foremost. If they were uh, maybe less animated and eight years before, they, these would have been your blogosphere, you know, as a uh, boy, I'm like in air quotes today. Uh, you know, like those types of people who can create content because they know what their audience craves because their thumb is on their pulse. Um, they have that intuition or skill set combined with the idea that uh, they know how to vehemently protect their personal brand because their their uh, authenticity is everything. It's all they have. Sure. Yeah. So um, when you get recommendations from people like that, the the, the awareness to trust uh, speed infinitely faster than it takes as many points as it takes with multiple Facebook advertising and an email and whatever else points of conversion it traditionally would take it, the, the speed in which it takes to convert from uh, awareness to trust to conversion is much faster. Uh, for fear of, of maybe, uh, you know, poking the discussion with a stick, a metaphorical stick. Yeah. Is there an argument that Facebook has become very complacent when it comes to analyzing what other social media platforms have done well over the last two, three, four years, and perhaps really sort of believed its own hype and has had to implement these changes in order to, to readdress what some of the other platforms are doing really, really well? Yeah. Three years ago, yes. Uh, last year, no. Um, so three years ago, they were just like, we're it. There's no, there's no challengers to the throne because what matters in this game is user base and we've achieved a maximum amount of user base. Uh, and we also uh, found the biggest contender to us as far as the most uh, uh, different experience and bought them, uh, Instagram. So like we, we give people the illusion of choice uh, and we've, we've got everything down. And then comes Snapchat, which had a, a, a tremendous momentum. Tremendous. I'm using the past tense. Uh, tremendous momentum. Uh, and more key to anything else, uh, everything that people were craving that they could not find anywhere on the Facebook family brands was available in that platform. The disposableness, the fun, uh, the, uh, the kind of uh, less grid-like experience all there. And then Facebook uh, decided we're going to strip all of the, the, the UX that is uh, exciting about that platform, boot, uh, bolt it onto our platforms and go to war. 
and no one had a problem with that. And in, since then, Snapchat, which was the only, again, only meteor, meteoric rise platform and user base and engagement, uh, started to plateau and Instagram and Facebook. So yes, as far as the traditional social media stuff, they were complacent. They pivoted a bit. They added a few things on there, mostly just to destroy the other one. But the, the biggest threat to Facebook really has come in um, on the experience itself being utilized and manipulated by advertisers in the form of uh, a political uh, um, you know, opportunists mm -hmm. uh, because it is open sourced. And, and in fact, in addition to the algorithm update in uh, early December, uh, January 2018, they also made uh, maybe two weeks before that a big difference for advertisers where there's a number of demographics that were available for advertising that they actually removed. Um, so you can't target ads by race anymore, and you could. Uh, there's certain geographic limitations that don't exist. So what they were trying to do, essentially, is their big fear was, boy, either government interference um, uh, to be able to say that for them to, the governments to tell them what they can't do and being held accountable that way, Mm -hmm. uh, or just the idea of, of growing sentiment that it is a tool uh, for, you know, in, in a, I guess, I don't know, whatever you want to call the, the political uh, uses of it, or similar to how uh, Twitter has been hijacked over the last, you know, maybe four yeah. years uh, by uh, uh, supremacists and other groups, as did Reddit, as did 4chan. Those, those brands really, you know, took a, took a hit. So that's been their biggest threat. The complacency end of it, uh, really has been more so on the, uh, the the brands using it. They were very complacent and not doing exciting content. And then what was the result was is that we were consuming poorer and poorer content and more of the same. You'd see the same meme, the same BuzzFeed, and uh, everybody else was pushed to the bottom. Uh, and now they're they're even cracking after those people because um, they they have more data on you and what you like than and any entity has ever had in humanity's history. So. They know what you don't like, and they're delivering you more of what you do. And if you want to jump that, you have to either, uh, I, I don't know. Honestly, there's no really way to jump that. You have to just give the content that people crave and give it to them. Well, well, on that subject, that, that brings us nicely, because we're getting towards the end of today's episode. And what we should do, um, and what hopefully you can impart on us, Nick, is, is a bit of wisdom before, before we leave yep. today. Because what we wanted to, to analyze and look at is, is the impact that it will have on um, on event organizers and on the event industry as a whole, but also what they could be doing for that. So if one of your clients came to you now and said, look, Nick, I, I've listened to what you've had to say. I now understand the changes that Facebook has made. What are the three simple things that I need to be doing? Give me three things that I can now go off and do now yep. to make Facebook work for me. What would you say to them? Absolutely. Uh, number one is that, like I said earlier, you need to have a Facebook Live campaign. You need to determine uh, the frequency that you can you can achieve uh, at the same level of success uh, and come up with some consistency around that. Uh, that Facebook algorithm does not penalize Facebook Live content, and you need to have that be something that is being craved through either using applications like BuzzSumo to see the type of content that, that your niche audience has a deficit in or just having your thumb on the pulse of the industry and having people who with, with large platforms themselves uh, who then would be able to push it along their personal uh, lines in order to bring the right people to it. So Facebook Live campaign, number one. Number two, invest in Facebook groups. I have different groups curated where it's more about conversations. That's the penalties for groups is not as severe as pages. 
Mm -hmm. uh, also, those are very naturally organized to be more about a community uh, and as opposed to someone selling at you, regardless of how interesting your content is, people still know it's a business, so their guard's gonna be up to some degree. Whereas a group that it's not about that, but is more about a soft sponsorship of an or, you know, around an idea mm -hmm. is sure. a good idea. And if you're in the content event game, the best way to do groups is to have groups around uh, uh, tracks for your event. Or if it's, let's say it's an outdoor music festival, maybe it's different genres. You can crowdsource, you can get a lot of information that will actually help you design your event. That's a whole other thing. Uh, but groups are another way to get around that. And you can align groups with your page. And then the last bit, which is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's still the Wild West when it comes to uh, event organizers, is influencers. People are not being penalized. Uh, if you can bring the people that have the credibility uh, and authenticity that uh, the niche audience that you're trying to get in front of uh, believe in, and you bring them into the fold and you make them holistically part of your event as ambassadors uh, and give them a little bit of stake in it, uh, when they share why they believe that this event is worthwhile to do it, not only uh, will they be seen by their, you know, hopefully good uh, sized audience, uh, they'll also be trusted faster. And then buy ads. You gotta buy ads. <laughs> Got to invest some budget in there. It's no longer, I think a lot of people did see it a few years ago. Fantastic. Facebook is a free platform. Let's get on there. You know, I can have a free profile on there and I can set up stuff and it doesn't cost me any money. That's how they built, that's how they built their user base. That's how well, most tech does it. You know, they, they give you something for free and then all of a sudden, oh boy, this costs money now. I'm, I'm hooked. It's their, it's their greatest trick. Um, we've been joined today on the podcast by Nick Borelli, um, who's joined us all the way from Cleveland, Ohio, to talk about the changes that Facebook has made recently, the impact that it's going to have on event organizers and the wider event industry, and what the event industry and everybody really could be doing to make sure that they're putting meaningful content up onto their Facebook pages. That's a key phrase that's come out today's discussion with Nick. And we thank Nick for his time on today's podcast. Nick, very quickly, if people want to get in touch with you and, and maybe tap into some of your knowledge and wisdom in the, uh, in the event industry, um, tell the followers how they can get in touch with you. Well, I'm not telling you to go to Facebook because obviously no one will see it. So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I find me uh, uh, Twitter would be great. Uh, N-I-C-K-B-O-R-E-L-L-I. You can apply that to any social media. I'm on all of them. Uh, email is the same. It's just Nick at Nick Borelli. Happy to talk to anybody about anything. I love to talk. Fantastic. And on the subject of links, don't forget to stay up to date with all of the latest content from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the Event Industry News app. And a reminder about the podcasts, new episodes of the podcast are released every, every week, generally pre-recorded. But I'm delighted to say that Nick has joined us today on a very aptly formatted episode of the podcast where we've been live on Facebook for the first time talking about Facebook. So, hey, who says there's no method in our madness? The podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. That brings us to the end of our first Facebook Live podcast. Thanks again to Nick. My name's James Dixon, and we will see you next time on the Event Industry News podcast. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.